Even today, women can find it challenging to speak up and get their voices heard, especially when there are still many biases working against us in the workplace. Join us as I talk with our guests about how effective women leaders are speaking out, tackling challenging conversations, and closing the influence gap. Welcome to the Women's Leadership Today podcast, a feature of Women's Leadership Today. I'm your host, Michelle Myers. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Carla Miller. Carla is a leadership coach and best-selling author who works with women in management leadership roles to further develop their careers and their confidence. Her book, Closing the Influence Gap, a practical guide for women leaders who want to be heard, reached the number one in the Amazon charts for business leadership skills and business management and leadership. Her work is inspired by the challenges she has had to overcome to succeed, and she is on a mission to empower 10,000 women in their careers. Carla, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Michelle, and it's fantastic to be here talking to your audience. Well, we are so happy to have you. And I imagine being over there, you have your your cup of tea and I have my uh, coffee here and ready to jump into this very important topic for women. But to start us off, I'd like to ask our guests to share a little bit about their organizations and the journey that got you to be here. Sure. So I'll start a bit with my journey. So by 29, I was in senior leadership roles in the nonprofit sector, managing large teams and responsible for millions of pounds worth of income and expenditure. And I spent my days, as you can imagine, in boardrooms with men in their 50s or 60s and in meetings with direct reports, many of whom were much older than me. And I found I was consistently underestimated and would often find it hard to get my voice heard in those rooms. And as a result of that, I experienced a lot of self-doubt and imposter feelings, despite the fact I was getting great results and the team culture was fantastic. Because when your input isn't valued equally and you're constantly being interrupted, you eventually start to believe that what you have to say isn't valuable. And at the time, I felt really alone in those influencing challenges and those feelings of not being good enough. I thought it was just me. And of course, now, like you, I've worked with thousands of women as a coach and trainer, and I know I'm not alone in those feelings. And that's one of the reasons I love bringing groups of women together, because people often tell me after just one session, they feel less alone and they understand that there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with them. And I think the other thing I didn't understand back then, because no one really talked about it back then, was the true extent of gender bias and the impact that that has on women's confidence and on our careers. Because not only do we have to deal with the disconnect between what society tells us women should be like and what's celebrated in women in society, and then what's celebrated in the workplace, because they're two very different things, but also we face very real barriers to progression and getting our voices heard and being paid Mm. our worth. And so 90% of the women that I work with experience self-doubt and imposter feelings. And it's not because we are in some way the weaker sex. I genuinely believe that gender bias is at the root of this. So we're not broken. 
We don't need fixing, but our self-doubt is a very natural response to the fact that we are women trying to survive and thrive in a workplace designed by men for men and for men in the 50s who had a housewife at home doing everything for them. And I think unless we understand that, then we tend to internalize it and think that there's something wrong with us. So I'm super passionate about that. And confidence is is something close to my heart. And then I think for me, influencing is what really shifted my career. So when I learned to influence effectively, I could get my voices heard. And since then, I've spent a lot of time working with boardrooms of lots of uh, older men. And now they do take me seriously. They do listen to me. Um, So I spent about 10 years doing that as a consultant. And then I trained as a coach. So I've been coaching for 15 years now. Um, I coach individuals, but I also run a series of programs um, that give women confidence or give them their confidence back more accurately uh, and help them to increase their influence and impact in the workplace. And, And like you, it's such a privilege to be doing this work that we do, isn't it? And I love every minute of it. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's such a pleasure. I'm just blown away. Uh, you know, every time I'm able to sit down with with women such as yourselves and hear their journeys, because it's something that we can relate to so much, especially what you were saying. I mean, I know I have personally been in meetings where I've been talked over as if I hadn't spoken, or perhaps I pitched an idea that got eh, a lukewarm response. And then a couple minutes later, one of my male counterparts, you know, this is basically the same thing. It's the best idea on the planet. Right. And again, unfortunately, I'm sure every woman listening has had a similar story to something that you've said recently or, or I've experienced. And, and it's just amazing that this still goes on today. I mean, it can be humiliating and defeating. And why do you think this has become such a a commonplace occurrence? I think it's been around for a long time. It's just that we've stopped maybe internalizing it quite so much and we're recognizing that it's happening. Mm. So there's some nice phrases. So that that experience you just described of making a point in a meeting and no one pays much attention and then someone else makes it and they think it's the best point ever. There's a phrase for that now called heat-eating, which I think is a really fun way oh. of thinking about it. So the man <laughs> repeats it. Everyone oh thinks gosh. it's genius. I think senior people do it as oh, well, to be fair, but heat-eating just sums it okay. up, doesn't it? I love it. So like mansplaining, we now have heat-eating. I think we need to coin that phrase. I love it. (laughs) Exactly. And there's another one, man-terrupting. So women get interrupted 50% of the time they're in meetings, and 90% of those interruptions are by men. Wow, 50%. Oh, my goodness. Wow. (laughs) That's a staggering number. (laughs) So now it's being tracked. And I think there's some really interesting books on this, but um, what research shows is that this starts really young. So by the age of five... Boys and girls have learned that boys' voices are valued more and are listened to more. So it's starting that young. And so then by the time they're in the workplace, um, that has then increased a lot. And we are basically all trained by society to value and listen to men's voices more, to assume that they are more competent. Um, And I think now we are just having the research that tells us this is happening. We've always known some of the more blatant things that were happening. We've always known about sexual harassment um, or having less opportunities and being paid less. But some of these things that are behaviors that are coming up in meetings, now we can call them out more effectively. And I'm a big fan of working with men and leaders to be allies because actually the people with the power need to be the ones who are changing their behavior and calling out poor behaviors. 
Yeah, and I always like that term ally because there are so many men who uh, do support their women counterpoint counterparts. So I think that is such an important point to make. And I wanted to ask you about the um, the beginning of the title for your book, which is closing the influence gap. When when you use that term influence gap, what are you referring to? I'm referring to the fact that we our voices are not heard as effectively as men's voices are heard. Um, we find it harder to navigate internally within organizations. Um, and sometimes we also don't step into the authority that comes with our role because society trains women to be very comfortable with responsibility, but less comfortable with authority. And in fact, society isn't all that comfortable with women in authority. Women in authority get questioned a lot more by their juniors than men in authority do. So it's really about our voices. It's really harder for us to get our voices heard. So if we're in a room full of male peers, we've had to work a lot harder to be in that room. And I think it's really helpful for us to recognize that actually. Yeah. And I want to go back to your, your own, um, personal and, and professional experiences. And I was wondering if there was one specific instance, um, that sort of was the final push that pushed you over the edge to write the book or where that motivation came from to finally, you know, sit down and, you know, say, this is, it, this is the time to put pen to paper and, and produce this book for us. I wrote the book quite a long time after the experiences, um, to be honest, but what prompted them was a time when I was in my first director role um, and I had to go into a, a room full of very senior people from across all sorts of industries. They were on the board of a nonprofit that I was working for and deliver news they just did not want to hear and at the time not only was I 29 but I looked about 23 um, and I've got quite an earnest looking face anyway so no one took me all that seriously I don't have a lot of natural authority um, and I knew that I had to step up and deliver this news in a way so that they would listen and so I came up with a tool at the time called a cloak of authority um, and at the time, I'm really aging myself here. Harry Potter films were on in the cinema. That's how long ago this was. Um, and in Harry Potter, someone had a cloak of invisibility. They put it on, they became invisible. And I thought, I need a magic cloak of my own. And so I reminded myself that Carla, the person, did not want to go into that meeting and have those conversations because I just want to be liked um, and I hate conflict. But Carla, the director, it was her job to go in and have those conversations. So I realized I didn't need to have natural authority. My job title came with authority. My expertise came with authority. And so I imagined putting on my cloak of authority that was my job title and going in. Um, and it just enabled me to hold myself differently, to communicate differently. And for me, that was a real unlocking moment of realizing I could really step up and influence effectively. Um, and I started sharing that with other people at the time and other women found it helpful. And so when I later started coaching and running programs, I was like, do you know what? I could put this all in a book, all this stuff, and it would be like a handbook <laughs> or a manual, Absolutely. like I wish I'd had back then. And so that's really what prompted the book was, wouldn't it be great if someone just handed you a manual that enabled you to do well as a senior woman? 
Oh, absolutely. And I love that idea of the uh, the cloak of authority. I, I can just even visualize, you know, putting that on and walking in. And it's sort of, oh, it's almost stepping outside of ourselves, isn't it? Or putting on a, I don't say putting on a mask. We want to be authentic and transparent, but, but I can very easily um, visualize that and how you can kind of gain some strength from that, sort of that mental preparation. And so without giving away all the sage advice in your book, uh, can you share some other examples of how women can find their authentic voice and that courage to to speak up, especially when they are in a situation where, like you said, they're um, being interrupted or, or he repeated? Because it's so difficult. I think like in that moment when you're just sort of blindsided by, you know, by these situations. I think influencing effectively and speaking up is probably a process in that first we have to believe in ourselves um, because if we don't believe mm. in ourselves it's and see ourselves as leaders it's quite hard to get other people to do it so I, I have a three-step model which is first see yourself as a leader and tackle some of those really high expectations you have of yourself like expecting yourself to be perfect or thinking I can't speak up unless I'm a hundred percent sure it's right. So that's step one. And then step two is helping other people to see you as a leader. And for that, I like to encourage people to come up with their own personal leadership brand. Because I think as women, okay. a lot of the time we look at leaders, particularly male leaders, and think, well, if that's what leadership looks like, I'm not really sure I want to do it. And it's certainly not the way I would naturally do it. And then we end up trying to fake it. And people can tell if you're faking it, we don't resonate with someone who's putting on a mask and faking it till they make it. So instead, I encourage people to own their own brand of leadership. So I get them to look at what's important to them. What are their values? What are the strengths that they bring? Let's get you to lead your way, not someone else's. I say be the best version of you, not a crappy version of somebody else, basically. That's my <laughs> motto. Um, and then look at what does your team need from you? And what does the organization need from you? And what does the organization value? Because you don't operate in a vacuum. You need to know what the organization yeah. values if you want to get promoted within the organization. So I put all of that together and I help people to come up with just a few words or phrases that sum up how they want to show up as a leader in a way that's authentic and powerful and works in their organization. And the shortcut to that, for the sake of your listeners, is when you're going into a meeting, be intentional about how you want to be perceived. So you want to be seen as an expert, maybe. Maybe you want to be seen as confident or collaborative or strategic. Whatever you know you need to be seen as to be successful in that meeting, set that intention beforehand. And what that will do is it will act as a subconscious filter to your communication. So let's say you want to be seen as confident. That might stop you from using some of those qualifying statements like, I might be wrong, but, or I'm not sure, mm -hmm. but. Um, so really, really simple. Think of just a couple of words or phrases of how you want to be perceived. I've got clients that have used this and people are then describing them in those very words. How you show up and the energy you bring to something is a really powerful way of being seen as a leader, basically. And do you think women who maybe, you know, up to this point have gone into meetings and in a way that they're not really satisfied with um, can in, in a sense, rebrand themselves. I think that's a great idea, sort of set the intention of how you want to be perceived and 
and make that your, your brand, so to speak. Um, can we do that within an organization? Can, is there still time to rebrand ourselves? Or if you've been with an organization two years, 10 years, 20 years, is it kind of too late to start afresh? It's a good question. I think you absolutely can. I think it might take a little while for it to embed and you might get some pushback as well. Like if you're someone who suddenly starts setting boundaries and before you've let people walk all over you, people will push back <laughs> yeah. because it was easy for them the way it was before. And now they've got to do more of the work. But I do think that you can choose to show up differently, do so intentionally, and people respond to a change in the energy that you bring. Um, and they will shift mm -hmm. their behaviors okay. a bit as well. It's easier in a new job because you get to start from fresh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think you can definitely do it with your team as well. So let's say you've been leading your team in a particular way, maybe not setting expectations or boundaries. You've been walked over a little bit. I think you can absolutely sit down with your team and say, look, it's not working the way we've been doing things so far. I know that I need to change my approach to this. This is what it's going to look like from now on. This is what you can expect from me. So I think with your team, it's quite easy to press that reset button. Influencing upwards, it's more about just showing up consistently and people will start to recognize that you've changed and recognize those new attributes that you're showing. Well, and maybe making a shift like that, you know, just exuding that more confidence will help get your get you more noticed and and up that that influence quotient, won't it? Definitely. And do you find these issues lessen or or intensify as you move up the org chart in a company, or are they pretty much universal uh, across all levels? It's interesting, actually, because whilst our confidence grows as we move upwards, because we're, we've got more experience under our belt, we can see that experience, we've been promoted, we're being paid more, we're more confident. However, we still experience self doubt and imposter feelings. I know chief execs who experience those. Yeah. But the more senior you become, the more likely you are to be outnumbered by men. Um, so even mm, in very women dominated point. sectors at the very top, like education, for example, or nonprofits at the very top, you'll still see men dominating. So you might not have had issues um, in those sectors at, at a middle level. But once you're at a senior level, you're often the only in a room. So you might be the only woman um, or the only woman of color, for example. And when you are, you experience more microaggressions. There's plenty of research that shows that. So I don't think it gets easier, unfortunately. It probably stays the same in terms of the challenges. It's just that those challenges are slightly different. No, that's a really good point that as you move up, uh, there are less women and, and the re there's research and data certainly to, to back that. So it really does shift that whole dynamic. And I, I would imagine not just in those sectors, such as, you know, nonprofit that you're talking about. I think that's fairly universal that we know as you move up um, to the C-suite, there's less and less women in those positions. Yeah. And it starts from that first yeah. rug of management, actually. So at that level, that's when mm. we see more men moving into management. And then that just gets worse and worse. From there, the pipeline becomes very small at the top. Yeah. Well, hopefully with uh, conversations like this, we can help, we can help counter that to some point. And I'm curious to know how, what the women that you work with and coach are expressing as their biggest frustration and challenges right now in the current work climate. I think a lot of it is around um, 
arguing for their team, influencing on behalf of their team at this time when there's a lot of cuts and a lot of restructures going on. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of overwork and um, burnout happening at the moment. And I think when you're unable to influence or set clear boundaries, that happens more and more, especially we're seeing a lot of redundancies across many sectors at the moment. And then the people that are left are then taking on the rest of the work, aren't they? And I see this particularly in women in middle yeah. management positions, because we've, as women, we're very conscious of the needs of our team and we're trying to protect mm -hmm. them. We also find it harder to say no. So we are the person that's absorbing things and that can then lead to um, exhaustion and burnout. So I think those things are very present, but I think there's still the general things about influencing upwards, um, confidence in terms of wanting to move to the next level, but not feeling like they're quite ready. And then seeing other people just sail past them that aren't even as good at their jobs. I think we see that a lot. Uh, and being paid less than men is also, unfortunately, still a major issue for women. And does that pay gap uh, narrow as as we move up or is it pretty much the same uh, again at, at, at any level? My understanding is that it actually increases as you move up, particularly when you look at bonuses. Um, men are paid greater bonuses. When you look at pensions, oh, wow. apparently the average man retires with like three times more pension than the average woman does. So I think the more senior you become, the more there's a disparity between what men are paid and what women are paid, basically. Isn't that just so sad? Like, here we are working so hard to get that promotion, to get notice, to take on more responsibility. And yet the division gets even gets even wider. And when you look towards the future, how do you see the landscape of women and leadership uh, evolving um, do, do you think it's going to change anytime soon? Because it does seem like we are talking a lot more about these things of before, you know, we, like we said, we were talked over, we were interrupted. And, uh, you know, those of us when we've been around a little bit longer, you know, back in the day, perhaps we just sort of kind of took it or accepted it. But now people, you know, women are speaking out and saying, no, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't the way it should be. Um, do you think we're sort of, about to see a big shift or it's going to be, you know, still kind of slow and incremental. I think some studies came out recently saying it's going to take us 200 years to close the gender pay gap. However, on the positive side, Caroline, I think we are years. seeing, <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely not happening in our <laughs> lifetime, Michelle, well, not our working life anyway. Um, so oh the positives are we are seeing people, we are seeing men and leaders starting to actively engage as allies, we're seeing more employee resource groups led by women actually getting some budget um, and take up more seriously. We are seeing more menopause awareness and training, certainly here in the UK. I don't know what it's like in the States, but in the UK, more and more organizations are starting to become menopause friendly organizations, which is really important because mm. actually the biggest growth, um, the biggest um the word has escaped me. The biggest, the fastest growing group within the workplace is women over 50. And they are also the people who are leaving. And they're leaving because they've either got lots of different responsibilities and they can't take it all on at the same time because women often take on caring responsibilities. Um, or they're thinking, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm not being listened to. I'm going to go off and do my own things. And they're going off and becoming entrepreneurs, consultants, freelancers. 
So awareness of the issues is better, but we're not seeing really substantial changes. When companies are reporting on their gender pay gap, there are some shifts, but there aren't the size shifts that we would want to see in reality. Yeah, that's interesting what you're saying. Also about, go back to what you're asking about uh, menopause in the United States. We're starting to see it talked about a little bit out there at, uh, you know, maybe HR conferences and uh, different events like that. Um, Not so, I I don't think we're seeing quite so much in the workplace yet, but also, I, I don't know how it is in the UK, but here in the States, it's, I don't think we're really ready as women to talk about it yet. I don't think we're comfortable, you know, to, to go to our, our senior leadership and say, I I need to take some time off to, (laughs) you know, to, to address this, which is unfortunate because there are so many different things where you are comfortable talking about now, but I think that's still a little, a little taboo (laughs) for us, for us over here. But I know that's not, (laughs) we could do a whole other program on that for sure. Good. Yes. And it sounds like the UK is probably leading the way on that side of things. And that's been a shift over the last five years. Mm. Well, good. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll we'll catch up to that that pretty soon. But that still blows me away, Carla, what you're saying. It's really expected to be 200 years before they expected that gap. I mean, that's just mind blowing. Mm. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Carly, when I uh, opened up today's program, I shared that uh, your mission is to empower 10,000 women in their careers, which is a very ambitious goal. How is that going so far? And do you have a chart on your wall where you're you're, you're ticking, <laughs> ticking away? I need to start counting, don't I? Well, the podcast has had 170,000 downloads. So I'm hoping there's a few thousand women well, listening to that. So that's good. Um I'm getting there. I'm getting there. 10,000 was a bit of a random number, but for me, it's about how do we get to a place where workplaces are places where women have equal chance to thrive? And how do we get to a place where we undo the damage that gender bias has done to women's confidence? And, and I try and do both. I work with men and leaders and I work a lot with women so that we can see what's happening and try and counteract it. And how would you like women to use your your book? What is your your goal with uh, getting it into the the hands of women out there? So when I created it, the original um, title was the Handbook for Women Leaders, and I was told that wasn't really very exciting. <laughs> so we changed it to Closing the Influence Gap. I don't know, that but it was. <laughs> I envisaged it. I envisaged it sat on desks or if necessary, in the drawer on your desk. But as a reference tool, it's got lots in there. I'm going to be sharing lots of the insights from it in the workshop that I'm running for you as well. But it's got lots in there in terms of phrases you can use when you're trying to influence and coaching tools to coach yourself. And so I wanted it to really accompany women. Um, and like I say, be this this manual or handbook, a reference tool that would help them on an everyday basis. So there's not loads of theory in there. It's super practical. Um, and I genuinely believe that when you start to put it into practice, work gets easier. And don't we all want work to be easier? Yes, we definitely do. And we all want a manual to help us navigate <laughs> that work in our workplace. So, so thank you for that. 
Well, Carla, I do want to thank you for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more from Carla on how you can speak up and have your voice heard, please be sure to join our workshop program called Increase Your Impact in Meetings, Speak and Lead with Car- uh, with Confidence. I started to say with Carla. <laughs> speak and Lead with Confidence with Carla. <laughs> well, Carla, well, thank you again for, for joining us today and talking about this this very important topic that we can all relate to, but I don't think we really spend enough time addressing. Thank you. My pleasure. And since you're all podcast listeners, my podcast is called Influence and Impact for Female Leaders. So do check that out as well. Absolutely. And I'd also like to say thank you to our listeners for joining us. We strive to bring you inspiring interviews, actionable advice, and powerful stories about women leading the way. To bring you even higher impact episodes with top leaders, we're switching to a monthly release schedule. We want to express our deepest gratitude to our listeners. Your support, engagement, and feedback are what drives us to keep evolving and bringing you the best possible content. Our next episode will be released on March 14th. Until then, you can watch all of our episodes on YouTube or listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite streaming services. All right. Thank you again, Carla. And thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. The Women's Leadership Today podcast is just one feature of the Women's Leadership Today community. We empower women to advance in their career through targeted professional development learning experiences and resources, such as live and on-demand courses, customized training solutions, up-to-date publications, and more. Visit womensleadershiptoday.com to join our community and take your career to the next level. Together, we can empower women everywhere to lead, innovate, and inspire change.